When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello gamers and welcome to Budget Arcade, a free-to-play gaming podcast to help you navigate through the growing realm of free-to-play games. I'm Scott. I'm Jeff. I'm Cody, and I have these nice uh, velvety tones now. Got a new microphone. It's very nice. And I'm Elliot. And welcome to episode 16. So this week we're doing something a little bit different. Um, we're not reviewing a, a lot game. Different. Yeah, a lot different. Um, we're not reviewing a game this time but there is a disclaimer on this one um just like in our path of exile episode uh jeff repeatedly said diablo and we joked that you should make it into a drinking game well this episode do not do that you will go into an alcoholic coma if you do just that disclaimer diablo will come up repeatedly and the reason for that is we are interviewing somebody today and our guest is the creator of it lurks below. David Brevik. Hello. Oh, I'm thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks for having you give me. Give us uh, raising the level of the podcast. <laughs> I'm guessing you didn't listen well, to I this mean... before you agreed to it. <laughs> that would be I, my guess. Obviously, he's on here, so no, he hasn't listened to it. To be fair. <laughs> Especially. Be- so first and foremost, David is here to plug his new game. So David, have at it. Okay, uh, yeah, I just came out with a new product called It Lurks Below. Uh, it is a uh, kind of a cross between Diablo and Terraria, so it's got a lot of Diablo kind of gameplay in terms of random levels, random items, lots of action, uh, you know, different eight different character classes for different difficulty modes, that kind of thing. But the view is kind of like Terraria from the side, or maybe like a 2D Minecraft. Uh, it's from the side, lots of kind of like platform action and, and things like that. And uh, it's available on Steam right now. It just released. It came out of early access about uh, about 10 days ago now. And uh, and uh, it's going well, and people are really enjoying it. What's the uh, difference between early access and the full release? I was just curious. 
Uh, there is, I mean, there's quite a bit. The all the bosses are in, all the s story is in, and the you know the all the character classes have all their skills, and there's a bunch of really fun items to find and things like that. So uh, there's there's quite a bit to do and discover. Uh, mainly the early access uh, went from you know no character classes, no melee, no, anything like that, to you know eight character classes and and lots of four different difficulty modes and all sorts of things. So it, it, the, the, the game grew considerably during early access, and, uh, and now it, it's a full-fledged game. It's a, it's a real game. Just <laughs> <laughs> With a start and a finish. Well, and, I, and I actually saw something on YouTube because I, uh, I was actually interested, and you know, obviously I didn't want to embarrass myself, so obviously I looked up you know, what games you produce, and obviously I saw It Lurks Below, and I looked it up. Um, and actually, it was funny enough, the, the guy that I was watching play, uh, I can't remember his name right now, um, but he actually described it just as you did, where it's a mix between Terraria and Diablo. It looked really good. Um, it came out, it was what, the beta or the alpha last year, and he said that he just started to pick it back up, and he said there is a ton of stuff now to it. And uh, so far, he's loving it. Yeah, it's it, it has changed <laughs> so much. I, it was uh, it was quite an overhaul, that's for sure. Uh, and I'm really glad that I went through the early access. I thought the game was much better because of it, and uh, and I got great feedback from the community, and there was a lot of support, and it was really kind of a fun process. Mainly because I was very interactive with the community. Uh, the uh, and I patched the game often. I, there were. It was in early access for about 13 months total, and uh, and I had over 150 patches in that time. So they, you know, they, there was quite a bit of <laughs> wow. new stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think I think anyone who's played PC games has had a point where they've they've gone in on an early access title, and then either it'll be months between, and you start worrying that it's abandoned, and. Uh, so I'm sure that's reassuring for anyone that supported you before it actually released. Yeah, I've been I've been through those situations before. I've supported games in early access that uh, you know didn't have a patch for a year, and I'm like, uh, is this abandoned? Where at this point, <laughs> you know? And and, yeah. uh, and then I've also been in situations where there's no communication and all these kind of things, and I wanted to avoid that uh, simply because I didn't really want early access to be. Uh, you know, I didn't want to be developing in a dark in the dark. I wanted community feedback. I wanted to kind of create a better game uh, with the people that were interested in doing that. And uh, so it was just a, it was a great experience. And I, I wish that early access were run like that more often. I think that uh, it was just really enjoyable for myself and the community. Okay, yes. so we've all compiled some questions that we're going to ask you. Um, we're also going to try to avoid questions that have already been asked on other podcasts. So for the community, if you'd like to hear more about David, you can check some of the other podcasts he was on, like New Game Plus, sorry, and also Run, Jump, Stomp. Both of those had a great podcast with him on there. So to start off, Jeff, so you're going to start with a question. Yeah, and this is something just from playing games like Diablo and... Um, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance on consoles was kind of my thing because I've always been more of a console player. But what goes into developing the loot system of like having that gradual progression of, oh, I got the next little piece. And, you know, in a lot of these games, they just have thousands and thousands of items. Kind of what's your process going into that? 
well, I've done it so many times now that it's uh, it, it's hard for me to break down the steps because it's a uh, <laughs> it's kind of like almost second nature. But the uh, but in general, uh, it it comes from repetitive play, like being uh, getting into the game and playing the game over and over and over again. And there's a certain amount of timing that comes with it. So uh, it's important to get, especially in a, a item I, like my game, It Lurks Below, and like Diablo, there are these random items. And so it's important for you to uh, kind of simulate what I like to call the, the slot machine. So every time you uh, pull the lever on a slot machine, you're either going to you know, get nothing back, boo, or uh, or you get like kind of a little you know just about your money back or something okay that's all right and then then uh, you pull it again and then you oh yo I won you know I put in fifty cents and I got five bucks that was all right and then uh, then you pull it and you, oh I won five hundred bucks or something like that so you it, you mm -hmm. get this kind of you're putting the money in and you're like pulling the machine you're and it's the same thing kind of when you're doing these games where as you're killing the monsters, it's like pulling the lever on the slot machine. And you never know what's going to come out, and you might hit the jackpot, you might get something great, and you have to time it so that they feel like they're, the, whoever the player is, feels like they're getting rewarded after hitting the slot machine so many times. And so uh, kind of getting that pacing down is something that, I, that, uh, that I've worked on for a long time. And I kind of know the odds of what... Uh, what is kind of frequent enough and not frequent enough, and uh, and through that experience, I'm kind of designed the the it from the ground up to be how fast am I killing something? How often am I going to get something new and interesting? And if on the averages, you know, the, you're going to get situations where R and Jesus doesn't bless you, and you're you're you know you're in a you're in a rut where you're not getting anything for a while, or just the opposite, you're like hitting jackpot after jackpot. But on average, you want to kind of like get this timing down so you feel like you get something at least once an hour yeah at worst case scenario you can sell it right all right elliot so uh i played so much diablo and diablo 2 in like junior high and high school and uh just to talk to the guy that made that is so cool to me so just like thanks for coming on i love those games so much me like, too. <laughs> me and my friends. That was our life in junior high. Oh, right. He's fanboying. He's fanboying. Watch oh, out. It's so oh, cool. Yeah, it's so started. cool. Anyway, I want to know if you would take the next, I don't know, three to 30 minutes and apologize to my mom for my grades um, from just high school alone would be fantastic. Sorry, I uh, can't do that. But uh, yeah, I Suzanne understand. is her I, name. I, I yeah. get this story a lot. <laughs> I bet you. You have to. Yeah, I do. It's, anyway. It's, it's very flattering. I mean, I think that a lot of people got very consumed with the products and uh, spent lots and lots of time playing. And, uh, yeah, that was it's just really, sure. It's really great to hear those stories. It's really fun to have, uh, I mean, not that maybe people got bad grades, but it's really fun to know that people <laughs> just really enjoy your work so much and, uh, and are really oh, grateful so fun. for uh, for you creating those games. So it's really fun. With, with this, what was the biggest challenge with It Lurks Below? Was it moving and making your own company was it making the game by yourself was it marketing the game was it patching the game what was what was the hardest part of this for you or has or do you feel like the hardest part hasn't really come yet uh that's a good question i i'm not really sure exactly what the hardest part was i am um, technically it wasn't really much of a challenge there was not really 
I mean, I made the engine and the tools from scratch, and I, uh, you know, I was able to integrate Steam and get patching working and things like that really quickly. That so technically it wasn't really that bad. Uh, the the biggest challenges were things like um, doing the pixel art because I'm not a very good pixel artist, and uh, and coming up with the style for the game. What is it going to look like, and how is it going to be different than Terraria and or Starbound and games that are similar to it? Uh, and uh, and then and then I think that there definitely has been a lot of kind of marketing issues in terms of people look at it and the very first thing they say oh is this a terraria mod you know that's a, they, it's kind of a snarky little response yeah exactly it is it's a little frustrating and you say the same thing over and over again and people quickly realize that it is very different if they like stay in a twitch stream or something like that they'll they'll see that it is different uh but people's first reaction is this is this is just terraria right and uh, and uh, honestly it doesn't really even look like Terraria. If you look at a picture of It Looks Below and look at a picture of Terraria, you see that they look quite different from each other. But uh, but I think that it's people just assume because there's a pickaxe and it's viewed from the side and it's pixel art, therefore it's the same. So uh, it's yeah. uh, in the end, uh, I think that that's been a little bit of a marketing challenge. And so I've tried and talk about how it's very much like Diablo first. And then it looks like it's from the view of Terraria, but it is nothing like the game Terraria. So, I literally the first two minutes of like playing the game last week, I was like, "Oh my god, I'm just playing Terraria," and like an hour later, I was like, "This is absolutely nothing like it." But <laughs> I've definitely fell into that. It was really easy to um, just on just base looks alone, but it's so not. You're absolutely right. Like once you look at it, it's really not. But I had that problem too. Yeah, I, I actually played. I, I think that you were not alone. I think it's very, very common, and uh, and so I think that's been a little bit of a hurdle because people are like, why, why is David Brevik just making a Terraria clone? And uh, and, and uh, honestly, what's really funny and what I find super funny about it is I played a grand whopping maybe three hours of Terraria. Like, I don't even know the game at all, right? And so the fact that it's, uh, that people say, oh, it's just like Terraria, it's got the same kind of things as Terraria, it's like, wait, I didn't even know that this was in Terraria. I don't even know anything about Terraria. So the, the, uh, uh, I, I played it for a few minutes. I was really struggling with the interface. I didn't like how you could interact with the game. The combat felt bad and things like that. So I was just like, okay, that, this is not really for me. Uh, and it was mainly more about, more based on a game called Starbound, where uh, I really enjoyed it, but and got into the early access very early, and uh, and it kind of went south. It didn't go the direction that it was in early access that I really enjoyed, and I didn't really like the finished product, and, and I was hoping for more of a Diablo kind of RPG experience, and that's really where this the the kind of the the premise for this game came from. All right, Cody, are you uh, able to ask now? Yes, yes. I moved my laptop a whole four feet to the side, to the left, and it finally works. <laughs> All right, how about it? Um, so, I, I've got to ask this, and, you know, obviously you've been in game development a long time. You are a seasoned veteran at developing these games and, and making them from scratch. Um, so, you know, how has your view of gaming changed since you, from when you got into producing and uh, helping create these games to what it is now because I mean if you're anything like Jeff Jeff hasn't even gotten that old yet and he's already becoming you know old and crotchety and he's not even 40 yet 
Yeah, uh, I'm definitely a curmudgeon. That's for sure. Uh, the uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, I think that uh, for the most part, gaming has changed. There's been some really good things about the changes in gaming. There's been some not go so good things about gaming changes. Uh, but it, largely for me, it's uh, it's about you know making games today. I am just as excited, if not even more excited now, about making games than ever before. So uh, mainly because uh, the ability to do something like I'm doing right now, which is I'm self-funding and self-publishing my game. And that was not really even possible, not even close to possible, when I got in the industry almost 30 years ago. And, uh, you know, you had to, you had to find a publisher because you had to physically distribute your product across the U.S. and or world. And, uh, you know, you're not going to have a trucking company <laughs> that can ship your product across the world. Uh, so, yeah. so you kind of were, you know, beheld to the the publishers who had these kind of resources and money to distribute the game, and then they would take a huge majority of the of the money, anywhere in the you know eighty percent range, and right. uh, and so the fact that you know you only made you know pennies. For your product and for it was was a was a dark time in many ways uh and so in that way it's just such a great great place that we're in right now being able to do distri digital distribution and uh you know the percentage that the these distributors take is you know 30 percent down to maybe 15 percent or so like that's that's really so much better than it used to be and uh and so i'm really grateful for that that said it's also you know there's all sorts of kind of business models out there that uh, feels kind of nickel and dimey right now and uh, and people are kind of upset about that and as a gamer I can understand that you know I feel like I can never really I'm not really getting full products and I'm not really uh, you know I feel like I always have to pay way more than it seems like I'm gonna pay and you know it's there's a there's a lot going on there uh, and I understand I mean it's the fact is that it takes so much money to create some of these big products because there are 300 plus people working on a product and they're, uh, you know, it just costs many, many multi-millions of dollars, hundred million, two hundred million dollars to with advertising and stuff to do these kind of things. And the risk is really high. And so they uh, feel like they've got to be able to actually, you know, uh, there's going to be failures and there's going to be successes. And the ones that have success, they've got to make enough money kind of to pay for the failures. And so it's, it's kind of a, it's a tough business right now. And, uh, it's even tougher for companies like little indie companies, especially with Steam right now. Uh, you know, Steam has kind of opened the floodgates, and there's 30 plus games a day on Steam, and so it's really easy to get lost. And uh, and so little indie games are kind of struggling right now because it's really hard to get any kind of attention. So, uh, you know, there's some good things and some bad things, but overall, the actual making the games and interacting with the audience and and seeing people enjoy my my hard work is is just as exciting today as it has always been. And I got I gotta commend you for that because I'm 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 a lot younger than the other guys on this podcast. Um, so honestly, I never got to play Diablo the first one, and I never got to. Uh, I think I played just a little bit of Diablo two, but um, you know I, I never had a PC growing up. But just to hear you talk about that and to see how excited you are to. 
you, you're, you're not you can obviously tell you're not in this for the money you are right. in this for your love of video gaming and i really appreciate that like you said there's there's a lot of business models out where every it i don't want to say that all the companies are about the money but it does seem like that at times because of all the microtransactions. There are several games that have come out that are pay to win. Um, and I really don't like that business model. But, you know, it, just putting that to the side, it, it's, it's very refreshing to hear somebody that has went from one of these massive companies that has produced just God only knows how much money that Blizzard has made off of Diablo alone. Uh, it's a lot. You went off on your own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot. But uh, you know, you, you went off on your own. You 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 jumped off. You jumped in feet first, and just to hear you sound so excited about producing on your own—that's very refreshing. And I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, it's. Uh, I often say that uh, I do, I don't do this for the money. The money is a side effect of what I do, not the point of what I do. Yeah, and I, and I love that. You can definitely tell that just by hearing your response to that question. As a solo indie developer, you needed to be very accessible to promote your game. How does that differ from when you were president of Blizzard North? It doesn't really... I mean, a little bit different than Blizzard because uh, Blizzard was a situation where we had a kind of a PR team and like Bill Roper did a lot of the, the PR for all of the games. Uh, so it wasn't, I wasn't as, you know, kind of featured during that time as I am now, but, uh, since then, you know, when we're doing Hellgate and Marvel Heroes and things like that, then I've been kind of one of the faces. And so I've been, you know, doing press and, and giving speeches at conferences and things like that, uh, a, a lot. And I still do today. I just got back from Czech Republic where I gave a speech. So the, uh, uh, which was really crazy, by the way, because I, I went there and uh, and then my got back from the trip and two days later I released my game. So it was like you know, I was kind of frantic while I was in in the Czech Republic no trying doubt. to make a build in the That's hotel cool. hotel room, uploading a build over the hotel Wi-Fi. That's it was, crazy. Man. It was crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, it, you know, I really enjoy the process of, of you know, w working with the community and, and speaking with people and, uh, and interacting with people and talking about game development and talking about Diablo and talking about uh, you know, what I'm up to now and, and all of these kind of things. And it, it, I don't mind it at all. I really enjoy the actual the, the actual process and I enjoy meeting people and talking about games. All right. So this is about the halfway point of the show. So we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back a scary home companion is filled with killers cannibals and cults monsters mayhem and music my name is nathaniel hensley join me as i spin original tales of horror and suspense and give you deep intense stories that will make it feel less like a podcast and more like a horror movie in every single episode you can listen to a scary home companion on buzzsprout itunes or Spotify. Do you enjoy learning about weird things that happen in our everyday life? Woman does karate. Son gets nude. Dog steals cornbread mix from Walmart, police say. Man marries hologram. UK installs knife surrender bin to curb knife crime. Criminals steal all the knives. Just search Tessa and Elliot Argue. That's E-L-L-I-O-T. Or visit TessaElliotArgue.com. 
All right, we are back, and really quick, David, Horde or Alliance? Oh, I was Horde. Very nice. Wrong answer, man. (laughs) (laughs) One wrong answer isn't bad, I guess. Well, in all fairness, the reason that I was Horde is because uh, we started playing uh, when, you know, it was, I don't know, I don't even know if you could call it alpha. It was like, you know, it was like, first playable you know <laughs> i start i was playing it then and i was you know helping with the giving feedback on design and things like that and i was uh playing a lot and i so I, we played alliance over and over and over again while the game was being created and that and like kept playing it kept playing it giving feedback and so i played it like to the level cap like 10 times plus by the time it actually came out. So when it came out, I was like, I'm so sick of Alliance at this point. I've got to try something new. And I haven't done the Horde side yet. So that's why I went Horde on release. That's nice. All right. And if you were to shave, would you have to change your name, your company's name? Uh, no, I, I, I am, I don't know, blessed slash cursed with being able to grow facial hair at a ridiculous rate. So uh, <laughs> I might be, you know, no beard games for about three weeks but then it's back to gray beard so they uh i can grow kind of a full beard in about a month so uh, it's uh it's it's well <laughs> yeah i don't know it's it's oh, right. it's kind of a pain i'll tell you that yeah those were actually my test questions that i meant to ask you before we started but i forgot to all right jeff uh, your next question i got my own test question <laughs> so we did a couple episodes uh on roguelikes uh brogue which is my personal favorite another one on mobile called shattered pixel dungeon shortly after that you were on the new game plus podcast and you mentioned how roguelikes sort of uh inspired the games you wanted to make but then scott and i got in a little bit of uh a difference of opinion on whether or not diablo is a roguelike yeah if that's a tough question. Uh, it, I hmm, uh, simply I, I don't think it is because it isn't turn-based. So I, I for me, roguelikes are turn-based. Now the the modern version of this, like everybody just like if you have permadeath, then everybody thinks it's a roguelike. So the uh, I, I think that uh, for me, it was kind of important to have the kind of ASCII graphics and the turn-based you know part of it i think really solidified uh it being a a roguelike more than diablo so i'm not going to tell you who was on the side of it not being a roguelike but i will tell you i'm very pleased with your answer (laughs) uh the other question now just to clarify i said it was a rogue light no i got the text we're going to skip that i got it we're moving on (laughs) we're not going to put david in the middle of this i can pull up the uh, Uh, episode (laughs) All right, moving on. Um, so another question. Is, so right now it's E3. And as someone who's in gaming and developing, have you had any experiences on the other side of E3, not from the fan side of point of view, but from the gaming uh, development and release point of view? Oh, yeah. I've, I, we, I've been to many E3s, uh, many, many, many times. And had products there that we showed. I mean, we showed off Diablo 2 at E3s and Lord of Destruction expansion. Uh, I don't remember if we showed off Diablo 1 at E3 or if this was, that was pre-E3 
where we, we used to go to CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, before E3 existed. Uh, and I can't remember if Diablo was at that one or if it was at, at, at CES or if it was at uh, E3. But I, I've been on you know both sides where it's as a consumer, I look forward to seeing some of the new products or playing some of the new products because I would go all the time. I haven't been in the last few years, but I, I I've been many many times and uh, and it's changed a lot. And uh, it you know I've been on both sides and it's equally enjoyable on uh, either way. It's been exciting to you know see. Your product because this was especially when we ever had like Diablo 2 on the show floor this is pre-internet kind of times for the most part like people didn't really uh, have twitch and things like that so uh, it was it was uh, you were able to kind of like that was a great place to go and watch people actually play your game and get some feedback and that was kind of really valuable to sit back I would sit back behind the computers we'd have all these computers set up and watch people kind of walk up and play and see where they were struggling and what they had questions with and things like that. And getting that feedback was, I was always very hungry for it. And it was really great, a great way to get that feedback. So I always really look forward to going to, to E3 and getting some feedback on our products. All right, Cody, you. So I'm going to piggyback a little bit off of Jeff's question um, about the items. So there's a lot of items in uh, all these games. How do you go about balancing all these items because you know they can get overpowered very quickly and i think there was uh, something in diablo i can't remember what, i can't remember if it's diablo 2 or diablo 3 something was so overpowered that it ended up selling for like thirteen thousand dollars <laughs> uh, <laughs> i think it was diablo 3 but how do you go about balancing these items because that's that, like just said there's so many i mean it, it's got to be tough because everybody's going to find some crazy way to stack all these things together next thing you know it's just broken yeah uh well uh, the odds of finding a really broken item are usually pretty small because because of the random generation you're going to get some extreme circumstances uh but you try and do things where you know you have limits and and the randomness is within some limits so that that helps a lot uh but overall i think that i don't try to balance them uh, and the reason is, is because there, there has to be some stuff that's better than other things, right? That, that, that's part of the game. And it's fun to feel overpowered. And it's fun to find these semi-broken items, right? So uh, you don't want to remove the fun from the game and make everything feel the same. That that's, becomes really boring. So perfect balance is perfectly boring. The, uh, it, it, it's really fun to have unbalanced things. And you just try and you know rein in how unbalanced it is so it's not completely cuckoo but that's it but, it, but at least you know that there is some kind of variation in the balance and uh and that naturally kind of happens if you set it up right cody was referring to the diablo 3 manticore crossbow which sold for thirty five hundred dollars nice oh, good gracious yeah <laughs> it, it, i knew it was high, i knew it was on up there i thought i saw thirteen thousand, but uh just a last real quick question, you know, what's been your uh, favorite game to make, whether it's Diablo because it was successful or whether it's something else just because you, you know, you you put it a lot into it, you had a lot of feedback into it, or uh, you just enjoyed it more? Uh, that's kind of like trying to choose your favorite kid. Uh, that... <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's right. uh, that's right. hey, hey, come on, you, David. You know as well as I do, we all have a favorite kid. We just don't tell him. <laughs> that's a secret. The uh, it makes it easy for those of us that just have one kid. Yeah, yeah. Good for you, Jeff. Or they have no kids. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm extremely fond of Diablo. It was a game that I created and came up with the ideas and named, like in starting in high school, and I was. It changed year after year, and I iterated on it, worked on it, and dreamed of making that game. And uh, for that to to for my dream game to come true was was amazing. And then for it to be a success was uh, it was unimaginable. And so it's I have so much to thank for the process of being on that team and and helping make that product and uh, and and you know what a joy what a what a what an incredible fate to have that as, as part of your life and resume and uh and uh, it's just you know to have that is is just awesome but that said you know i there each game is very special in different ways and uh and and i really enjoyed the process of making each one and and uh and uh you know including this latest one it's just so different than the way that i've ever made a game before that uh that i've just uh, I've, it's been it's been so pleasant uh to and just so much fun to do it all right all right uh elliot so uh you talked a little bit earlier at the start about um like feedback you had gotten um during the alpha um can you think of a time like where do you, with your feedback do you find that you like or taking things that people say and like implementing them or like polishing the sharp edges that they give you or or stuff like that like do you find that the feedback really played a big part of this game or just like oh this was wrong i need to fix this or, or things like that i guess uh yeah i think it goes a lot of different ways there's feedback that there's a lot of times people give direct feedback like oh we really want buyback at the stores I personally hate having buyback in a game. As a game designer, I don't like that option, but I understand that people make mistakes and they want to put it back. So, and it's also kind of a pain in the butt to deal with and and whatnot. And the UI, you know, I don't like UI programming, even though that's like the most critical way, they, they, <laughs> critical thing to do. Uh, I kind of despise it, but. Uh, uh, and so, you know, I relent and I say, okay, I understand from a game gamer's standpoint it makes sense to put it in there and i will not be considered to be a modern game if i don't have buyback at the vendor and people will just say oh my god this game sucks because you know it doesn't even have buyback kind of thing so i i kind of relent and do things like so there's there there's feedback like that where it's kind of direct hey we want this kind of thing then there's other feedback it's like oh you know i really want this particular kind of class and these kind of things and we want you know these it would be fun to have these kind of ideas and so those are kind of like more off the you know cloud in the sky kind of ideas and sometimes they're addressing certain problems that the game has or sometimes they're just people you know coming up with pie in the sky kind of ideas and so i take those and sometimes i use them and sometimes i don't and sometimes i come up with other solutions because they're having problems and they're trying to think of solutions so there's different ways that uh, that that kind of feedback gets gets integrated, and then there's the the feedback the the feedback of I'm really frustrated. This part of the game sucks. You know, <laughs> just remove it. And uh, and 
And so oftentimes I don't really want to, like that section of the game is in the game for a reason and I want to iterate on it. I want to make it a more pleasant experience rather than a situation of just flat out removing it. I want to make it better so that it becomes an enjoyable part of the game. That was a real struggle with It Lurks Below, for instance, when we had kind of the survival aspect of the game. And uh, and I really wanted there to be the like, farming and cooking and, and like crafting and all these kind of things. I wanted that to be a major part of the game uh, from the get-go. And it was not working and I iterated on it and I changed it and I worked on it and I changed it over and over and over again. And I probably went through eight major revisions of it. And then in the end, it finally turned out all right. But it, it took a long time to get there. And people were frustrated. People quit. People gave me thumbs down reviews and everything like that when it was, you know, when it was in different states. And uh, and and I heard the feedback. I listened. People were frustrated. And I would change and try and address some of their frustrations. And uh, and so there were, you know, those kind of different categories of feedback all are very valuable, but I use them in different ways, and I kind of like filter them in different ways. What are your thoughts on big name developers releasing broken games that they're having to patch on, like whenever the uh, product is actually being installed on, the, on people's consoles and PCs? I understand from a consumer standpoint that that is kind of frustrating, but from it's frustrating to get these patches or whatever day one, but at the same time. Uh, oftentimes what happens is that there is a long period of time between the actually finishing the game and it coming out you know on a on a platform because there's not as much anymore but there but it, there was a period of time where it would, you would have manufacturing time so they would go with the gold master version of the game and then it would you know they have to make the physical copies they have to distribute them and it takes a while for the physical copies to be made and then shipped over here and then like distributed worldwide and they have to like be ready for some kind of launch and so it's like a, a month plus before uh you know by the time let's say a month and a half six weeks maybe even eight weeks before uh, the when they actually finish the game and the game's coming out so during that eight weeks they find bugs and they find things that they could fix and so having a day one patch creates a better experience for the consumer in terms of the game is in a better better state uh, and they've had eight weeks to kind of work on it and fix kind of problems or maybe make some balance changes before it comes out or whatever it is and I understand from consumer standpoint it's like I just installed this thing and now I'm patching it and it's going to be hours before I even get to play and it can be kind of frustrating but at the same time I'd rather have that than something that's even buggier than than something that comes out uh, and doesn't have a patch. Well, I, I actually meant like game breaking uh, releases where I'm, I mean, what was it? Uh... They have those too. Yeah, it's a shame that uh, that somebody works so hard on something and then uh, then it comes out and it doesn't work at all. Uh, there is nothing more frustrating for everybody involved than and then something like that. I'll tell you, that it is it is really tough when, especially like a server server based game where the servers aren't working or they're or they're you know they, and the fact is that it's very 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 difficult to simulate these many that many connections and that many people like slamming on the server. Uh, and you know it's it unfortunately just takes a real world test and. Oftentimes, if you have very little experience in that or very little testing, 
in terms of you've never done it before or anything like that, uh, oftentimes it goes wrong because it is super complicated. All right, so we've actually got a couple of uh, our listeners. They uh, submitted a couple questions. We actually had allowed our Discord to know that you were going to be on the show, and we asked them to pose a couple questions for you. So first one is from Jason, who's also on another podcast with Jeff. We'll uh, mention that later, obviously. But he says, um, if you could change anything with Diablo 1 or 2, what would it be? And is there something you wanted to add to Diablo but couldn't due to time and or computer hardware restraints? Yeah, there's always things that I want to add to games, but I can't because of time. But uh, the uh, I can think of a couple specific things. The, the first thing that I would change... Uh, is I would from Diablo 2 would be I would remove the stamina bar it's like <laughs> oh thank god I love you have I said that yet uh, you know I'm not really sure what I was thinking when I put that in and I'm not really happy with the way that, that went down and eventually it just became a useless part of the game and so I, you know it, 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 I think that in the end that uh, I, that's probably the number one thing I would like to change now, uh, as far as things that uh, we actually had um, a, we ran out of time, uh, but we were working on something called Battle.net Town. And uh, we weren't going to have Diablo 2 that you, we weren't going to have chat rooms uh, that you went into. You would actually just always be in the game, similar to like uh, Path of Exile hubs is basically uh, what you can think of it as, where it would, you'd have like this... Uh, place where instead of going into a chat room, you went into a little town with you know 25 people or 30 people kind of running around and uh, and showing off their gear and doing trading and and you know they could you could do vendor stuff and things like that in town uh, and then you go off into your instance of of playing the game uh, when you kind of leave the leave that area so. We had worked on that. We designed it. We had done some of the art. We had like, uh, you know, worked on the technology for it or whatever. And uh, in the end, with about maybe like three or four months left in the project, we uh, we ended up just having to cut it just because the rest of the project was done, and we couldn't delay the project for another six plus months to uh, to uh, to put that in. So in the end, that got cut and never came to fruition. So. Uh, that's something I really wish that it had, but uh, but never never had the time. Yeah, that uh, new free-to-play game, Dauntless, has something very similar to that where you go into like a hub world before you queue up for your specific instances. Uh, Coconut Wizard actually submitted three different questions, um, but we're going to only go with one of them. Uh, what do you value most in the game when enjoying them yourself? Story, mechanics, etc.? Oh, absolutely, mechanics. I'm much more of a mechanics person than a story person, as you can tell from the story from the Diablo, which is like almost. I mean, Diablo One, the story was mainly in the manual. It was a, it was barely in the game. So the, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that I, I've always been about uh, about stats and numbers and and you know, killing monsters and and things like. That. So I, I'm really. I really love the mechanics. That doesn't mean I, do, I don't enjoy a good story, and I do play some games because of story, but uh, largely I play for uh, mechanics, and that's the thing I enjoy the most. All right, very good. We want to thank you for coming on, David. Um, if you want to plug your can I, wares can again. Can I pose nope. one last question? Absolutely. It, it's a selfish one. When do we get to play this on the Switch? 
Yeah, I, I would really like console ports. Yeah, oh, that is uh, that is definitely something that I'm working on. Actually, this weekend uh, I was working on converting the game from DirectX to Vulkan, and, uh, and so that it can go on to different platforms. I'm slowly working on the ability to do controller support and and changing it so that it can work on a multi-platform kind of uh, engine. I already have it using. Uh, uh, platform agnostic uh, system call stuff so it is uh, it's getting close and I really want to release it on switch and Xbox and PlayStation I want I want to do them all so uh, that uh, hope, amazing hope to, to take it on a car trip yeah I think I think I think it's just a perfect fit for switch personally I think I mean I'm I, yeah. that's the most I'm most excited about that I, I love the switch so I you know I uh, that's what I'm most excited about all right uh, where can people find you ever David uh, they can find me in a variety of places. Uh, you can always go to uh, Twitter. I'm David Brevik at David Brevik on Twitter. I'm uh, you, you can go to uh, itlurksbelow.com or graybeardgames.com, and uh, the game is called It Lurks Below on Steam. And uh, there's you know you can get it now. It's out now. And uh, you know Steam Summer Sale is just around the corner. So uh, you know if you're thinking about picking it up, there might be a good time to do it. So. Uh, uh, keep an eye out for that, and thank you for uh, having me on the show. All right, and we would like to thank everybody for joining us. If you're listening on iTunes, we ask that you would leave us a review. You can follow us on Twitter at Budget Arcade. From there, you can go join our Discord. You can also join our Discord through our show notes. You can send any hate mail to budget.arcade at gmail.com. Music is by Stimmage, and you can download his music at metroidmetal.com. This has been a Little Gray Boy Podcasting Network production, and game on. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. 
You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life altering. And if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.